<clears throat> this meeting is being recorded. Parshas Bahar Bichukosai. Well, Lag Bomer has come and gone. It was amazing here in beautiful uh, East Greenwich. Had over 50 people under the sky and just uh, the feelings of Hod Shebahod. Just want to share one Lag Bomer idea. <coughs> Sorry. Um, <clears throat> so we got these 49 days between Pesach and Shavuos. Tonight, if you didn't count yet, is the 36th day. Hayom, Shisha, Shloshim Yom, Shehem, Chavisha, Shavuos, Yom Echad Omar. Today's 36 days. It's just five weeks and one day to the Omar. <clears throat> so you got seven weeks and each week represents a concept. And each day of the week, of each week, has a parallel concept. The concept of the day of Lag Vomer ends up being a double whammy. It's the week, the fifth week of the Omer is the week of Hod, which I guess loosely translated as beauty. And it's the, it's the, um, it's the sixth, sorry, the fifth day of the fifth week, which means it's Hod Sheba Hod, which means it's the concept of beauty of beauty. So what does that mean? So many ideas, but one uh, I thought very practical one, and it is certainly relevant for the name of this podcast, is it's the concept of of um, ultimate beauty. What's ultimate beauty? Concept of beauty comes when things make sense. And I think I read an article years ago in the Reader's Digest. I don't know if people still read that. I know when I was a teenager, that was a big one. Um, And it said how studies were shown of the most handsomest and men and beautiful women that they were they, they were symmetrical and it just concept of symmetry things making sense which which in general we look at the world it makes no sense to us and when things make no sense to us it doesn't feel very beautiful how can something become beautiful when you understand there's a master plan behind it and you don't get it, but you trust that there is one. And that is the, is the concept. The fifth week is, is also, besides beauty, number five is because each week also is, an, is represented by an all-time Jewish leader, is Arona Cohen. Arona Cohen was famous for two things, beauty on top of beauty. What were those two famous things? One was he was the ultimate pursuer of peace. Ethics of the Father says that he loved peace and he chased after it. Peace is not an easy thing. you got to chase it. And you got to love it. And he also was famous for a concept called, which was a few weeks ago's Torah portion, Vayidom Aaron. Aaron was quiet. He was quiet in the face 
of when he heard his two sons passed away, which was, must have been extremely difficult to understand, and he was just quiet. And the two go together. A person is able to, to make peace with people, makes peace with themselves, make peace with God and the universe when they understand, when they take, they say, they just accept it. I don't know. I'm going to stop fighting it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be proactive about certain things, but you know, life happens and there is a reason for things. And uh, I can tell you, this concept is so powerful. This, uh, for me, you know, everyone has weeks that are, I'd say, when you feel more challenged than others. And um, this was one of those weeks, I guess I would say, I felt a lot of challenges. Life's great. And I think, the, I know, the only way that I know I've gotten through it is I keep saying, you know what? This is God's plan. There's very little I could do about it. It's God's plan. And, uh, yeah. So it's just a very powerful idea. Okay. Meanwhile, we're two weeks from tonight is Shavuos, which is very befitting. The name of there's actually two parshas this week, but it's very befitting that the name of the parsha is Behar Sinai. This, these were the things that were said to Moses at Har Sinai. Behar. Same of the parsha. Behar at at the mountain. So it really has a lot of different mitzvahs in it. But I wanted to share probably the most famous one from this parsha is the concept of Shemitah. What's Shemitah? Shemitah is actually still practiced uh, in Israel today. It's not as in full force as it was in the time of the temple, but it's still around. And it's uh, I actually had the um, privilege of being in Israel during two different Shemitah years, very special year. What is Shemitah? In short, Shemitah is an unusual commandment that in the seventh year, uh, there were the, the uh, Jewish cycles have a cycle of seven years, and every seventh year, a, there, as a rule, you leave your land alone. So if you're a farmer and you've got thousands of acres or you're a backyard gardener, you just leave everything alone and let God run the show. Very difficult thing to do. In fact, I, you know, we don't really live in an agricultural society. But anyone who sees and gets their, their sustenance directly from the ground, even though we, you know, we, we just go to the, um, to the store, but it takes a tremendous amount of faith. And the Torah understands that. And it actually gives two guarantees, uh, at least two guarantees of how are you going to have food if you don't prepare? Not only that, how are you going to have food in the, even the eighth year, which is the, the first year of the next cycle, if you didn't have a plan, you know, you know, weren't doing anything in the seventh year, how are you going to have in the eighth year? So the Torah gives uh, two blessings. It says, if you keep the Shemitah, don't worry. So what are the two uh, uh, things that the, that the Torah says? One is, 
that there will be a bumper crop. The sixth year, there will be so much grain or fruit, whatever you need, that will last all the way until you can plant again. Incredible. That's what the Torah says. So if you trust that God is going to do that, nothing to worry about. In fact, it may not even require that much faith because you'll have it before the year even starts. Like someone says, you know, I'm not working for a year, but you know where I got 250 grand in the bank, you know, that's one suggestion. That's one one blessing. Another blessing that we're given is that you won't actually get more, but you won't need it. You'll be able to uh, be satisfied with less. Now, which would you say is a bigger blessing? Well, the more overt one, uh, you know, think about it. They have different uh, different things about them that would seem to be um, uh, harder. But suffice it to say, the question is, well, which one was it? Did they get more or did they not need more? And I've seen in many places, I think um, the, the Soforno explains, that it actually, the, if you look closely at the verses in the Torah, it's, if you look at the word, it's clear when each blessing was employed. In fact, it says people who are at a higher level of faith, who just did it and had no questions, they got the lower level miracle, whichever one that is. People who the Torah says, if you will ask, what am I going to do? It's okay to ask. But the fact that you're even asking indicates a lower level of faith. And you get a greater miracle. So Rabbi Zev Lef, famous rabbi from Israel, Moshav Matisyao, he asks, is that fair? Does that make any sense? The person on the higher level of faith gets a lower not as great a miracle, and the people who are on not a level of faith, high level of faith, get a greater miracle. Seems to not be fair. Rabbi Lef explains with a parable. He says, let's say you have a family, like most, when you have, they have a number of kids. So, for example, me, you got eight kids, eight kids, very different, different needs, different temperaments. And let's say I have a particular child that uh, needs help doing their homework or needs a modification in class. And they get that help and modification. And another child would say, hey, that's not fair. I want the help or modification. Well, that kid, it, it actually would not be good for them. They don't need it. And often what you don't need is not good for you. It's fair. It's absolutely fair. Fair does not always mean the same. And this is such a, uh, I guess, an attitude that helps with, you know, being happy for other people, being able to not be jealous of other people, being able to be okay with what you have, um, it's just uh, 
it's just a, a far reaching concept. It's the more a person is able to, uh, you know, um, you know, in, incorporate that into their life. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just life changing. You know, they say, if you don't need something, then you don't need it. <laughs> Sorry. If you don't have something, then you probably don't need it. You know, there's so many things you say, if I had that, and then you see, oh my gosh, the person is so many challenges because they have that thing. Okay. <clears throat> Famous mitzvah in the Torah here says, <clears throat> sorry, to support your friend. What does it mean to support your friend? So the Rambam says, Memadi says, based on the verse in the Parsha, it says that the best way to help your friend, you got a friend who, let's say, you know, things are starting to not go in the best way financially for them, career-wise. So, or, and you see, you have someone who already needs charity. Now, exactly what the priority should be when you're trying to help someone out, that's a great question. But what the Torah says is it's fantastic, very important mitzvah. The best thing to do is to help someone not be able to need charity. You see this thing, they're starting to slip. Give them a loan, help them out with a job, maybe give them a present, something that will help them before they're in trouble. You see, the insurance companies know this very well. I know my insurance company today, it's always worth it. You always check with your insurance company. Because the insurance company understands that I'm going to help, I'm going to uh, pay for all kinds of things. I'll pay for you to be able to go to a gym. I'll pay for this benefit and that benefit. Why? Because they know in the long run or even the short run, if a person takes care of certain things, it's a lot easier if someone's health deteriorates. It's worth to spend the time and money now. And says this is free. You know, if you have a, uh, you try to help load something onto an animal, you could do it with one person sometimes. But when something falls off, it's just a whole, you could, could take five people to, to do what the work of one person would have been. And that's such a far-reaching concept in everything, but let's keep it focused on relationships. You know, we all, and again, I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody else, if not more. A lot of times we say, you know, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. That's hard. You know what they say? They say whatever amount of time you don't invest into your friendships and your family and your familiar relationships, if things end up not going well, you spend a lot more time and money later. So you keep like investments you keep keep taking making keep putting in things keep doing things and um that's that's the that's the way to go but that's why the torah says to strengthen your friend strengthen your friend is not if your friend's down in the dumps you're picking him up we say no strengthen him while they have not fall, fallen yet Middle of this discussion of the Shemitah year, which again we said is basically a faith, the way every 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 seven years to really 
cement a person's faith in God and it throws the middle there. It talks about the concept of onat devarim. Onat devarim means when a person um, says words, devarim means words, onat means basically pain. I say something to you that causes you pain. It could be true, it could be not, whatever it is, but it's, it's, if I say something in a way that causes you pain, which is not a nice thing to say to you, that is a biblical prohibition. It's just as prohibited as not eating kosher or not keeping Shabbos and the, the holidays. So it's interesting, though. Why is it talk about it smack in the middle of the Shemitah discussion? And the uh, great Rashiva, I think I quoted him in the past, with uh, Yaakov Weinberg, Yaakov Weinberg from Baltimore, he says, you know, because the root of when I'm not nice to someone, I say something not nice, is the same root as the ability of a person to be able to trust in God and leave their field alone. What's the root? The root is, do you trust in God? If I trust that my life's the way it's supposed to be, and everything that's happening is happening because it's supposed to happen, now, it doesn't give someone the right to just do something to me. But if something happens to me, that means, you know, that's God's got it all figured out. God's got to figure it out, and God's got my back. I don't need to say something not nice to you. Sometimes we feel the need to say something strong, not nice to someone, because we got to be in control. got to do something about it. We just have to do something. And, and you don't necessarily have to do something, especially if you're like, well, my God, what do I have to do? I have to do something mean. No, don't say the mean thing. doesn't mean, obviously, there isn't a time and a place to say something constructive, but that is the idea from Rodney Weinberg. Another similar one. In the middle of its discussion of Shemitah, it says not to cheat. Same thing. You know, it says the concept of overcharging. Overcharging. Why would a person overcharge? And the Torah has rules. In fact, I mean, I think there are some sort of rules like this in America. I don't know exactly how they apply, but the Torah there certainly is a concept of of same of, of overcharging. Charging significantly is a certain amount. That's a leeway, but otherwise, there's a certain amount of um, that you can't over over market value. A certain amount over market value is, is, is not okay. And again, the Sefer Beisav explains that if you believe, like we say, we say on Rosh Hashanah, God decides how much money you're going to make. You're going to make 100000 30000 a million, and there's nothing that anyone else can do to take that away from you. It's nothing. If you, if you, there's nothing. And therefore, if you believe that, there's no need to cheat. Because you're going to get what you're supposed to get. As long as you put in a reasonable uh, effort, because God wants us to put in work, that that certainly is the case. But as long as you put in a reasonable effort, you don't need to cheat. You don't have to overprice. You do things ethically. You do the right thing. 
and you will get what you're supposed to get. So we talked about Shemitah. So there, now the thing is there's seven years of seven. So you have a cycle of seven sevens. So seven times seven, 49. What happens at the end, end of the seven cycles? You have the concept called the Jubilee. That's what it comes from. The Torah, actually, in Hebrew, it's Yovel. So, I guess, anglicized, it's Jubilee. And Jubilee is like you have a Jubilee anniversary, 50th anniversary. Now, the show for the Yovel year was, was blow your mind. The Yovel year was a second year in a row of no planting. So, the 49th year, because it was a seventh year, no planting. It's more than no planting. It's not tending to things. And then you have the 50th year after that. There's a number of extra rules, uh, things that were that, it, it, that applied besides the um, the um, you know the the uh, not not taking care of agriculture. And one of them was that if a person had property, had property they owned. So the way it worked in uh, a biblical um, Torah-run system was that things go back to their original owners. There's details about how to deal with it. But ultimately, you know, you had something that was on a 50-year deal. Um, Lots of interesting laws about that. But ultimately, you had a lot of people who were having to part with things that they had. And one of the things that they did, how would it be, at what point was the point where you had to give back your thing, your, the thing that you owned, there was a chauffeur blow. And when everyone heard that chauffeur blow, everyone knew that the time had come for things to go back. The question is, why do you have to have a chauffeur blowing to do that? Everyone knows. <laughs> Certain timers do it. So the Sefer Achenach, fascinating book that goes and discusses reasons behind every single commandment in the Torah. He explains the concept. Now we often talk about the concept of peer pressure in a negative way. You know? You feel pressure to dress a certain way, eat a certain way, spend money a certain way, look a certain way. And, but the Sefer explains that sometimes there's something that is hard to do. And the Torah, and we understand this many times, something that is hard to do, but you got to do it, and it's good for you. And the Torah understands that, you know, obviously in God's infinite wisdom, he designed this concept that things went back to their owners, but people grow attached to it. It's a very difficult thing to give back something you may have had for 50 years, 49 years. So, but we know often a way to do something that's difficult is to get a buddy, to be a part of a group, a healthy peer pressure. So when they blew that chauffeur and everyone heard it, and it was like, you know what? We're all in this together. He's doing it. She's doing it. I'm doing it. It makes it so much easier. And this, I tell you, is one of the, not a secret, but I would say it still is a secret 
of the way to a more practical, meaningful, enjoyable Judaism. Judaism is a whole package. It really now, now obviously, you know, a person needs to do things in a healthy way and not do everything all at once and do things with baby steps and all that kind of things. But Judaism is a design. When you don't do all of it, it doesn't work as well. It's like a car, like a diet, like a house. There's nothing, a a band. There is nothing in the world that when you don't, things are designed either by directly by God or through man man using the way of God. And they're designed, and when you don't do the design, and you're like, hey, why is this not working right? So we know that with our bodies or with any appliance, you know, you can now, you have a problem with the computer, you call up a tech, you go to a phone, you think, they, they, they troubleshoot and they figure, oh, you're missing this, you're missing that, you have too much of this, not enough of that. And one of the great um, tricks and, and secrets of Judaism of the how does it work? How does it work to do so many so many mitzvos, things you do, things you don't do, good ideas, customs, because so much of it is meant not to go it alone. If you go at it alone, it's I would say it is impossible. But it's meant to be done with friends, with family, as a community, and then you know you you know one day you're not as motivated your friend's motivated, or you're both not motivated, somebody else. There's so many incredible benefits of doing things uh, together. And, and it doesn't always have to be even, you know, I think we see what we saw from COVID, you know, even without Zoom. You know, this when you, when you know you're part of something and you're, there's other people doing the same thing you're doing. You know, when you... You're saying Kiddush on Friday night. You know, there's Jews, millions of Jews all over the world saying Kiddush. And this applies for everything. It's, it's such a, a powerful idea, and, and, and it's just it's the only way to go, really. And, and um, you know, we talk about loving your fellow man. That's, that's what you learn to appreciate in other people. If you spend time with them and you realize how much you need them, I'm sure you, you all have had this experience where, you know, when you learn to appreciate someone, so even though they may have their warts and things that they do that you don't like or you don't appreciate, when you appreciate what there is to appreciate, and there's so much that any friend, almost any friend or family member uh, helps us, that uh, it just leads to a tremendous amount of, uh, of harmony and respect and love. Maybe another idea or two. So it says that a man should not stumble upon his brother. What does that mean? Don't stumble upon your brother. So Rashi says that teaches us that we are responsible for each other. And the famous words, which is I think is pretty cliche, is 
Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazer. We're all responsible for each other. It's very cliche. It means you got to take care of each other. But if you look careful, the Chavetz Chaim focuses on the words that we use there. We don't, there's many you words to use for responsible. Achrayut, Mechuyav. The word here, which is used, is Kol Yisrael, all the Jewish people. Arevim. What's an Arev? An Arev is a guarantor, right? I want to borrow $10,000. They don't want to just trust me. I got to go to my friend, and my friend signs on as a guarantor that he'll pay. He literally will pay if I don't pay. And it's a real thing. And that could trust me over my life at this point. I definitely have uh, borrowed different times money. And. Um, and sometimes they you want to they want to require a guarantor, and a lot of people won't do it because if you take a guarantor seriously, that means you're on hook for it. You really are on hook for it. And that is, says the Chavetz Chaim, that is the degree of responsibility that we are supposed to feel for our for our for our brothers and sisters. It's not just like, oh yeah, you know, if I can, I'll give you a buck, give you a buck, five bucks. No. Oh, obviously, you do what you can. But constant, it really is my responsibility. It, it, it really is my business. Everything is my business. Now, there's ways to go about it. Obviously, you have to have healthy boundaries and healthy expectations. But the concept of what it means to be a guarantor is that it really is my responsibility. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling. People feel that way about their kids, maybe about their spouses, but really, it's a very, very, very deep uh, responsibility that we all have for each other. Now, interesting thing I, th- I thought it would be helpful to add, that, yes, we said earlier the concept that in the years of the Shemitah, so depending on where you what you needed, God gave you. And... I saw, I don't know where I saw this, but I have my notes here, that this applies today as well. Yeah, Rabbi Dessler explains, famous piece from Rabbi Dessler. He explains a fantastic book called Strive for Truth. Great, highly recommended everyone to read it. But he says in there that God rolls with you the way you roll with him. If you really believe and feel that God's in your life, like he's there right next to you and he can help you out, then you feel and you see the hand of God in a much clearer way sometimes. Um, and that, that, that's, a, that's a famous story. I remember the Weinberg I mentioned before. So one time he, you know, the way it is in Baltimore, I'm from Baltimore, is that the rabbinical college, the yeshiva, you know, historically was always pretty far from the, where the main Jewish community was. And it was a common thing. You know, people would get rides in both directions. And one time a student had the privilege of driving the grand rabbi. And they got to a stop sign, and this student, you know, good driver, stopped. The rabbi said, why'd you stop? He said, well, 
stop sign. Okay. And he gets to the, to the, uh, uh, he puts his blinker on, he has a red light, a green light, all these different things. And the rabbi keeps asking him, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? And he keeps telling him basic, basic, uh, you know, driving etiquette and rules. And finally, the student's getting a little confused and says, Rabbi, you know, I think you know how to drive and I'm just doing basic driving. Why do you keep asking me these questions? So I'm trying to bring out that life rolls the way you roll. If you really feel that you're driving with God and you really, that means then everything that happens to you, God is playing with you in a very, very direct way. If you're feeling like God's driving in the car next to you and you need that, that light to be, to be green, there's a better chance it's going to be green if you feel God's there. And this is a, a way sometimes to get what you need. And no, no guarantees because not that God can't do it, but often God knows, he always knows what's best for us and what we think is best for us isn't always best for us. I'm sure we know so many situations where we were late for something or, or early for something or something didn't work out. We're so frustrated and we find out so many, some people have stories where that saved their life or other things like that. That's that. So why don't we stop here and, um, you know, think about these ideas, how trusting God allows you to be a happier person, allows you to get along with people better, and uh, take care of other people. Take care of other people. Don't just take care of them. Take care of them whether you really feel responsibility for them. And this is the best way to get ready for two weeks from now, Shuot. Jewish Midnight Madness. Have your feast from like 10 to 12. Then you stay up from 12 to 4, studying all night to greet the morning the same way the Jews did it 3,335 years ago. Have a great Shabbat.